Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey guys, before we get into this week's interview, we wanted to give you a little update about what's going on behind the scenes at Woven. So as you know, if, as you may have heard, we're in a pandemic and things are weird. So we've been kind of reevaluating some of the episodes we put out and some of the content we're creating. And if you didn't know, we have a whole other little thing going on at Patreon, which we'll talk about what Patreon is in a second. But we have an online community there as well with people um, where we get to be a little bit more um, unfiltered, I guess you could say. And we decided going forward that because churches aren't really meeting as much in person and a lot of us are missing that like Bible, I mean, we're still doing church online, but like maybe if you were in a small group or a Bible study, you may not be meeting now or it might be on Zoom or whatever. So we're going to bring that to you over on Patreon. So um, for $5 a month, we are going to do much like the small group schedule of every couple weeks um, at churches. We're going to get together and we're going to talk about the Old Testament. Because I don't know if you've heard, but the Old Testament has a lot of stuff in there about, you know, what are we feeling? Exile, isolation, uncertainty, uncertainty, (laughs) all things that I could definitely, um, I am an enthusiast about the Old Testament, but I am not a scholar, but luckily Rebecca Pete is. So she is going to lead us on discussions of all of these things. I'm going to ask all the dumb questions so you don't have to, and we're just going to learn together. So if that sounds like something that you would look forward to and that you would um, enjoy listening to, please check it out. We'll have the link in the show notes. And um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's sort of a pledge system, much like PBS, where you pledge a monthly donation and we're asking $5 a month and that will get you the two bonus episodes. So I think that's well worth it if it, you know, gives you some time in the word, some time knowing that other people are listening to the same thing with you and that you're learning together and hopefully a little comic relief and a little, um, lightness brought into that as well. So what else, Rebecca? I mean, it's super easy. I think people don't realize you just click on the Patreon link in our show notes and you can like do it through PayPal. You don't even have to go find your credit card. It's real easy to, to sign up and get, it's get true. going. So we ask yeah. if you, um, if you, if you like Woven, if you feel like it is a resource to you, we ask that you would prayerfully consider donating. And now, on to the show. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Um, we're in the middle of our series um, just about um, parenting um, in the pandemic. Parenting, and also- but make it pandemic. <laughs> There you go. But um, so we're having um, a series of guests on just um, to discuss, I mean, obviously long-term stuff, not just the the short-term acute um, crisis we find ourselves in, but like how we can, um, in the middle of all this, still lay the foundations um, that we need to lay as parents. And I think, you know, I think last August we did this too. We did kind of a a prep for fall parenting because I think we we all feel like we take a break during the summer and then like as summer is ending, we like are like, oh, we, we should probably like start thinking about parenting again with school coming up. And stuff. So, yeah. so it just seems like a good time in August to have this, this series that today we have on um, author and speaker and blogger, Carrie Kampakis. Did I say, pronounce that right, Carrie? Carrie yes, you did. Yes. Kampakis. Okay, good. <laughs> and um, Carrie, will you just introduce yourselves a little bit more for our listeners? 
Sure. I am um, a wife and a mom of four girls. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I have three daughters who are teenagers, and my youngest is 10. She's a preteen. And I also write. Um, that's my calling. I write, um, I've written two books for teenage girls, and they've been released by Thomas Nelson. And then in August, I'll release my first book for moms of teenage girls called Love Her Well. And it's about strengthening that mother-daughter relationship during the teenage years. Awesome. So what, so obviously you've written for teen girls twice and then this book, what kind of was your, um, why do you feel called to that? Um, what has happened, like part of your story that has driven you to want to write for teenage girls and teenage moms? That is a great question. Not teenage well, moms, moms of teenagers. That's what I meant. <laughs> I almost say that all the time. Um, you know, for years, it's, it's, it's funny because for years, my heart was really with the teenage girls. And what happened was, is I started going out and meeting the, um, going, doing events and meeting the girls who were reading the book and their moms who were buying it for them. I'd often have the moms telling, you know, asking me, when are you going to write a book for us? And, you know, I would just kind of smile politely. And in my head, I'm thinking never, because I'm not going to write for moms. You know, moms are, you know, hard audience. And I just oh, never, yeah. I never really, you know, I just felt like, I don't know. I just felt like I love my mom friends, but I felt like the girls were a little bit easier for an audience to write for because they're not so set in their ways and mindsets. And so in my head, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, not in 20, not until 20 years from now. But what happened was two different things. As my girls got, got older and I became the mom of a teenage girl, I realized how hard it is. And I felt like it's, it's a lot harder to find resources and advice than it was when they were little because when they were young, all the problems are pretty similar. We're having problems with potty training or they're jumping out of their crib. And I remember back in those days, I could go to the gym and get advice from pretty much anybody on how to handle those problems. And then as they're teenagers, one, you're trying to protect their privacy. You know, two, you have different value sets as parents. So not everybody's going to give you the same advice. So you have to kind of look at somebody who maybe shares your values. And, um, and three, it's just people are a little bit more closed with teenagers. So I felt like there was really a need for a resource for moms to not only feel less alone, but also something that could be realistic and address these hard realities that these girls were facing that I'd learned through my work with teenage girls, but also be optimistic and not just look mm -hmm. at the season as a season to survive. So um, that really started it. And then what really got me was I started thinking I'd meet these moms and they love their daughters so much. I mean, I've, I've met moms at speaking events that have driven five hours each way just for their daughter to come hear a message because she's going through something hard. And I was, you know, it just leaves me thinking the power of a mother's love and what we will do for our children when they're struggling. And it, it, I thought that, you know, if somebody comes to a speaking event or they buy my book for their daughter, that might help them one time. You know, they read it once a year. It's kind of a one-time thing. It stays with them, but it's not something that necessarily impacts them on a daily basis. And I started thinking that if we really want to help this next generation, I was like, we need to encourage that relationship with a person who's with them every day, which is in most cases, their mother. And to really you know, encourage a strong relationship there. So that really became my heart is still helping the teenage girls, but in a different way by encouraging their mothers. Yeah. One of the things, I noticed in the in the book was um, in the introduction, um, Love Her Well, which comes out on August 18th, correct? correct? That launch day? Yes. Okay. So we'll we'll link in the show notes how to get it, but we can talk about that more later as we close up. But um, in the introduction, you talked to a lot about how um, 
the you it's not so much about changing our daughters themselves but changing our hearts and our thoughts and our actions um and and then you know hopefully that leaks out to our daughters and i was thinking about that a lot because i think it, not just parenting books for teens but parenting books in general tend to have this focus on how can i change the behavior of my child mm-hmm. versus what about me so what how how did you kind of um come to that and how does that kind of play out i guess you know, I, I guess a lot of it came to me because um, just what I've learned from talking to teenagers and trying to write for teenagers. And I remember my first book when I turned in the first edits to my editor, she was like, you know, this is a good start, but you sound like a mom. And if you write like a mom, the girls won't read it, <laughs> basically. So she she told me, she's like, write like a wise big sister, you know, remember yourself as a teenager and then channel your teenage self. And so that really forced me to go back in time and remember myself as a teenager unbury a lot of those memories and unpleasant feelings and things that I went through. And really, it gave me more empathy for them. And mm-hmm. I have learned that, you know, if you if you really approach them more from a place of empathy and listening and trying to understand what their life is like, because they really do have it harder in this day and age than we did at their age. And, mm-hmm. and really just try to speak to their heart, then I think our lessons and our words are going to sink in so much deeper. And, um, and you're right, I do think, and I'm as guilty of this as, as anybody, that we you know, as we, especially when we start parenting, you think I'm the I'm the expert. I'm the one who knows everything. I've got to teach them to it, teach this to them. And with little kids, I think there is a lot of don't run out in front of that car. Don't do that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that instinctive parenting that you have to have. But what I found as my girls became teenagers, I was still trying to parent like that. No, don't do that. Don't do that. And all of a sudden, they're real people, and it's creating this gulf between us. And then mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd heard all these scripts. You know, they're you know, teenagers are terrible. Wait till she's a teenager. So for at first, I just blamed it on my daughter. Like ugh, everybody was right, you know, she's got attitude. I've got to, I'm gonna nip that in the bud, and it just made our relationship grow more and more distant. And so mm-hmm. really, I, I really kind of denied it because I, in the world's opinion, I think that's probably the advice I would have gotten. But it just kept getting worse. And um, one day, I just broke down after she went to school, and I just I felt terrible. I was like, this does not make me feel good. I know in my heart, this is not the right approach. And I really needed that breakdown and kind of that wake-up call to admit that I had to change myself. And that mm-hmm. part of the problem was that I was not being a calm role model, that I was not being the adult in this relationship. And I was just basically mirroring her reactions. And so I say that that was what inspired my search of how to love a teenage daughter. And I think the struggle that most people have as our kids get older is you want that relationship, but you've also got to be the parent. And we're always going back and forth or am I too strict or am I too lenient? You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. so hard. Yeah. We're not trying to be their best friend, but at the same time, if we're just giving them rules and trying to give them advice, they're going to tune us out because they're smart and they will go elsewhere for advice. And so I really think that, you know, you, we've got to have the rules, but without a relationship, they're not going to want to come and, you know, tell things to us and let us be their safe place where they can process life. Yeah. Okay. I mean, of every relationship, isn't it? Like leading with yeah. empathy is the key. I mean, and nobody wants that friend who just, and I've been this friend, so I can say it, but like no one wants that friend who's just like starts spouting advice at you when you're just trying to be heard and understood because it's almost like disempowering to tell someone what to do because it's like you need to be the safe space for them to say what they're feeling. And then, you know, there's there's a power in figuring it out on your own with God, you know, and kind of like wrestling mm-hmm. for yourself. And if you have somebody mm-hmm. like telling you what to do all the time, it's just, it's like, we're like the soil they grow in, you know, like we need to be that foundation for them mm-hmm. to sprout up, but like we can't sprout for them, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a great analogy. I love that about the soil. 
It's yeah. so true. And I, I think that that's, you know, if we think about the people that have had the most influence in our life, you know, it's the people that we know they love us, they like us, that we can see the way that they, they look at us and, and that makes mm-hmm. us trust them and it makes us want to open up. And I think teenagers are just like anybody else that was yeah. the same that, you know, they're going to, you know, that they, they like, that they're going to listen to the people that they know like them. They're not going to listen to someone if they don't, if that person doesn't like them. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that kind of leads a little bit in what you were just talking about is a lot of our listeners, I think of a lot of our listeners are like me that have, um, I think we have some listeners with teenage daughters, but I think we have a lot of listeners that are approaching the teenage years. And then we have a lot of listeners with, with itty bitties too. Um, and I, I guess, um, my question for you is, um, what, can we do now to prepare for the teenagers and why this is important? Cause I know when I was a young mom and I mean, I'm going to go with, I'm still young, but when I, when I had moms of, of, when I was a mom of littles, you know, babies and toddlers, I was constantly looking for, you know, how do I potty train? How do I, um, sleep train? How do I, you know, um, do I do timeout? Do I spank all of these things? Like I was looking for that. And so when I would see a book or hear somebody speaking about like the preteen years and the teenage years, I'd be like, I don't need that right now. And so I just didn't listen. So what do you say to those of us now I'm starting to get you know, eager to learn. But when my kids were younger, it was like, you know, what season am I in right now? So how can you encourage us, I guess, to look at the seasons that are coming up and prepare for those? And why should we do that? Right. You know, I I think the number one thing I always say when I'm a grandmother, the first words I want to teach my grandchildren are Jesus loves me. You know, I just think that helping our children become so rooted in the love of Jesus And with our daughters, really helping them understand what does it mean to find your identity in Jesus. And I say that because um, there's this research out there that shows that a girl's self-esteem peaks at nine years old. And that's sad. (laughs) So, and I see it. I mean, I see it just in the work that I do. That, and I think I think what it is is that girls are so relationship driven, even more so than boys. And we're like this as grown women. And you know, a lot of times we we decide we can kind of pick up on cues of what people like about us, what they don't like about us. And you know, it's after age nine that I think we become more socially aware. Girls tend to, you know, they want to be accepted. They want to belong. And so sometimes they become people they're not really meant to be because they're trying to fit into a crowd or, you know, please a friend. And, um, and I really think that it really begins with being secure in your identity in Jesus and knowing the truth about you that, you know, having them so, so rooted in that because they're going to go through hurtful events. You know, they're going to come home from school crying one day. Somebody's hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. They're going to, you're going to feel so good because you think they have a friend group. And then all of a sudden that friend group turns on them and, you know, they're alone. And it's just, you almost need to just expect that those things are going to come, those real life situations that we've all been through. But if they have that solid faith foundation, I think if they have their confidence rooted in something that they can't lose overnight, whether it's their friends or a boy or their grades or their place on a, you know, a cheer team, just something that's solid, then they'll have that confidence to still be standing. And, um, and that's something I think just, and I, I think it's funny that typically women tend to struggle with insecurity. And then they say, guys and men tend to struggle with pride. You know, it's, it's like they, they almost think too much of themselves sometimes. And we think too little of ourselves. And mm-hmm. when you look at the issues a lot of teen girls go through, and even the, you know, the drama that sometimes you see in friendships, a lot of it comes out of insecurity. You know, if somebody's not feeling secure in their friendships, they're probably going to make some bad choices or do some things out of self-preservation. Yeah. But really, if we get that identity and confidence part, I think right when they're little, then it just at least those seeds are planted in them. Yeah. Yeah. 
so, so just yeah, I, rooting that foundation when they're, I even notice it because, you know, I have a, I have a 10 and a half year old too. And it's interesting to, to hear the statistic about nine. Um, that I, I mean, my daughter, I mean, I think some kids just have more self-confidence than others, just personality wise. And my daughter has a pretty strong personality. That doesn't mean she's not going to struggle with, um, <laughs> I mean, she has her moments and she's had friend drama and all of those kind of things. But, um, I definitely see, you do see the, the switch from caring as much about what your parents think to more about what your um, friends think. And I'm starting to see that switch over start to happen. And that's just a natural child development switch over. Um, but the importance, you know, speaking to moms of younger kids, the importance of establishing that when they're still looking to you and they're still, not that they don't look to you. And we'll talk about that more about how you can be a confidant for your teenager. But like when they're little, like Rebecca Cochran, when you're, you're twin girls right now, like they, they think, you know, everything. And they, I mean, I do. <laughs> but you know, like, and so like solidifying yeah. like their confidence in you when they're little and their confidence in Jesus and, and all of the identity stuff when they're little so that, you know, you have that to lean back on when they're older. I think that's great. That's great advice to, to start with that and, instead of, it's hard not to just focus on potty training or, you know, getting ready for kindergarten or whatever, but to like, remember the, the long term. Like I think about yes. parenting as a marathon instead of a sprint, but we like to stick with the sprints. So, and I do, uh, I think, like I said, I think just preparing them, I think the more you can prepare them in advance, like, I know this hasn't happened yet, but you're going to come, come home from school one day just crying because somebody hurt your feelings or they said something really mean that you may never forget, but you, yeah. you, know, you just got to know that's an opinion and just, yeah, I think being rooted in, um, in Christ. And also it has helped me that when they do, do go through hard things to, you know, sometimes I have to almost thank God for it. Like, you know, it's so hard to see them struggle, but in a way, you know, you don't want them making an idol of the wrong things in their life. And sometimes they have to lose a friendship or something has to undo them for them to realize that Jesus really is the only reliable anchor that they can always count on, you yeah. know, no matter what. Something yeah. I feel a lot as a mom of, I guess all moms probably feel this way, but I, I notice, you know, that, that phrase, um, things are caught, not taught, mm-hmm. which you know, like, which basically means like, if how I act is how they will, you know, I can tell them to do something all day long, but they're going to model what I'm actually doing. Um, How does that play out? Because I know how it plays out in like five-year-olds, but how does that play out with teenagers? Because they probably act like they're not paying attention to you and they probably roll their eyes, but like, I know they are. So like, what does that look like in your season of life? Right. You know, I think you become more aware of it as your girls become older. And, you know, at, at the ages that mine are now, you're, I'm thinking about, okay, who do I want them to be when they're in college or, you know, when they're dating or getting married? So I think about even like, you know, the relationship I have with my husband and the way I talk about their father in front of them, you know, that's influencing the way that that could influence the way that they act as a wife. And mm-hmm. so it is, um, I guess you're just more mindful of just trying to be, you know, trying to be a better role model. But also, you know, the good thing about teenagers is they'll call you out. You know, they know that <laughs> you can't pretend to be perfect when they're little. They think you're perfect. And then they get older and they, they're smart. They see your flaws. And my mistake was I, I kept doing what I did when they were little at first, like pretending like I was perfect and not admitting those mistakes and those flaws, thinking that that made me a better role model. And really, they just, they're, they're smart. And so, you know, just admitting like I made a huge mistake or I lost my temper or I should have done this for a friend today, just admitting my humanity and really just yeah. always pointing them back to, you know, 
you know, I'm, we're all here to helping each other, but we're, Jesus is the perfect role model. None of us are perfect. We're really looking to him, but we're helping each other on that journey. And, um, and that's really what I've learned the most is that, you know, I think I'm influencing my kids, but as they get older, they're really influencing me and helping me on my journey too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's good for them to see that, you know, we're still learning and growing. And um, I've heard before that it's okay to come to faith just a few steps ahead of your kids. And, you know, mm-hmm. to be like, I don't, I don't, I'm not where I want to be in my spiritual journey, but I'm learning and I'm growing. And I hope that, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe can influence them too, that when they're 40, 45 years old, that they'll still be in that air, that spiritual growth too. Um, because I really feel like I went to church my entire life, but my spiritual life really started to deepen probably in my forties. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, there are parts of me that regret that, that it did, I didn't really start diving in sooner, but then I'm like, well, it's kind of good that my girls are seeing it at an age where they'll remember. You know, that yeah. you don't have to be perfect at a certain age. We're all, we're all God's going to meet us wherever we are. Yeah, no, that's good. I think being honest, because um, you're right, as they get older, they get smarter and more perspective, perceptive. I'm even starting to notice that switch now that um, my daughter is starting to call me out on things more than my seven-year-old does, you know, and um <laughs> she's just, they just get very observant. And my first instinct is to like defend myself and be like, you don't understand, blah, blah, blah. You're not an adult. Like, I don't really say that, but that's what I feel welling up inside of me instead of saying, yeah, you're right. I made a mistake and I still struggle. And, you know, being humble um, teaches, humility teaches a lot more, but it's hard. My personality is such that, you know, I want to have this perfect facade, even in front of my children. <laughs> and, right, right. and that's what faith looks like is to do everything perfectly all the time. And that's not what it looks like. So I think that's really um, good advice. Um, so how can we fight the narrative? I have, a, I have my best friend has four girls like you do. Um, I have lots of friends with, I have another friend that has three girls and then a boy too. And they hear even at the grocery store, this narrative, um, oh, your four girls are so cute just wait till they're a teenager. It's going to get really bad, you know, or, or I feel so sorry for you, or you're going to have to whatever, um, you know, get away or you're going to have to send them to boarding school or whatever when they get older, because, um, because it's going to be so hard. Um, and how do we fight that narrative? Because first off, it doesn't have to be that hard. That doesn't mean it's not different and difficult, but also like, I think going in with that negative view of what it's going to be like can affect how we parent our teens. So like, what do we feel the need to say that in the first, I mean, honestly, like why, what is it that makes people feel compelled to say things like that to strangers? I know. I don't know. I mean, I I think if you look at any of the mindsets and the stereotypes that get passed on from generation to generation like that, they're always negative. And I mean, even guys are jerks. And you think about a girl who truly believes that all guys are jerks will probably never have a healthy relationship. And, you know, you can go, if you go in with that mindset, you're going to be blaming everything on that person and not looking at yourself. And so I I think it's the same thing. You know, another cliche that gets to me is the girls are mean. And, you know, and it's so tempting. Your daughter comes home from school. We're all, it's that low hanging fruit. (laughs) They come home from school. They've been hurt. This little group of girls or one girl has been mean. And you want to just throw out that cliche you've heard over and over. Well, girls are just mean. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've done an article on this. I have some emails on this with a mom who had some really good perspective, but I've never liked that, that cliche because I'm saying, I'm thinking if I believe that I'm saying I am mean, mm-hmm. y'all, are, our daughters are mean, you know, what is, what's helpful about that? We're just going to try to eat our own. And then I think, you know, our girls need good friends. And that's the number one email I get is just the stress and the heartache and friendship. And, you know, I have, a, I have an adult 
friend, she goes, I, I struggle to trust women because my mom always made me distrustful of girls. Like mm. every time somebody was mean when I was little, they're just jealous of you. And sometimes it is jealousy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a that's that mindset yeah. that she just didn't trust females to begin with. And she really struggles to have deep relationships now as an adult woman. And so it's things like that. I'm like, I don't want to do that to my children. You know, like I don't, they need their friends. And I know some girls are mean, but there are a lot of good ones out there too. It's like anything. You're going to find good people and bad people in any situation and nobody will be perfect. So um, I think it's really just, I think we have to be pretty firm in our mind of what of what our approaches are going to be. Um, talking about, you know, people telling you that, oh, just wait until she's a teenager. You know, I, I guess I decided pretty early on after my daughter and I started fighting and I went on the search of like, what does it mean to love a teenager? It's pretty much a five-year journey that led to this book. But I was like, I don't want to spend their last years at home being sad or angry or fighting. Mm-hmm. And then um, a few years ago, I read this book that really gave a great perspective. It's this grandmother. And she was talking about how like these last years at home, you know, we really want to finish strong because it sets mm-hmm. the stage for the adult relationship. And when you mm-hmm. hear, you know, adult women talk about their relationship with their mother, it's probably, I'd say there's probably more dysfunction than there is function. <laughs> and a lot of the, these habits that we're setting in the teenage years, it's setting that stage you know, they're home for 18 years, but our adult relationship might last 30 or 40 years with them. It's even longer than what we're doing under our own roof. And so I think we're really setting an important foundation during the teenage years of what that adult relationship will be like. And I want to be friends with my daughters. I want to have a good relationship. That was really the goal that I'm working toward is, okay, we've got problems, we've got issues, but I don't want to settle here. You know, I want to find a better way to do this, to, to get to a good place. Yeah. It's interesting about the girls are mean thing. Cause I, I, I have not actually said that to my daughter, but I found myself after she's gone to bed in tears over something. And I tell you, tell my husband, girls are just mean. So I find myself saying that I've tried not to say that to her, um, but reversing it and saying that, uh, not that girls are mean, but sometimes girls do mean things mm-hmm. and, or kids do mean things. It's not just girls. I mean, boys do mean things too. Um, but, um, but like, there's a reason why they're doing the mean thing. So like talking to my daughter, cause my daughter has gone through a couple, I think, you know, nine and 10 is what I feel like for third, fourth, fifth grade, the stuff starts bubbling up, right? They're starting to figure out how to have friendships and, and factions start happening, especially if they've been together since like pre-K, which is my, my girls and so, or, or my daughter and her friends. And so it's this, you, you start to have factions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's more of like, you know, when one person's been mean or a couple of girls are being mean, like, why do you think they're being mean and helping, right. helping her, see like what could it's not it's not just about you and maybe it's not even it doesn't even have anything to do with you it may solely have to do with them and like w- what's going on with them that's I would causing say them to usually this it doesn't way. have anything to do thing to do with you okay. yeah I mean of course there are times where my daughter has done things that she needs to apologize for and she's caused sure. you, you know, we've you know she's caused like the the chain of events but um you know a lot of the times there's I, so I think helping your daughters like enter the story and of somebody else's story Mm-hmm. Instead of just labeling them as mean or catty or however we want to like characterize, you know, and there's other words I won't use, but like how we want to characterize um, some female personalities, like say, why do you think like what, what about them are about themselves makes, makes them feel sad that they feel like they need to say X, Y, and Z or whatever, instead mm-hmm. of just being like, all girls are mean. And I, I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> I know. And we all do because we, there are, and I think we all have, we all have meanness in us and we've all, I've acted mean before and I can look back in high school. I was a, I was a nice person, but I can think of a few mean things I did kind of passive aggressive that you don't even realize at the time. 
And, yeah. um, and I think sometimes that we just have that, uh, girls are mean and that's, you know, we live in this age of disposable friendships where they just write each other off. And I'm like, we're not going to have any friends if we just label people as mean and write them off. And, you know, there's got to be that, that room for grace. And obviously we got to know what are healthy relationships and, you know, more toxic relationships. But um, yeah, it is, it's a, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but I do think that, that, that cliche, and I think we're, we're also raising children in a mean culture. And, you know, and I'm like, we wonder why kids are mean these days. I'm like, look at the adults. You know, I mean, like they don't have a lot of great role models out there. Yeah. And how the adults are behaving on social media. It's just a, it's a, like, of yeah. course, it's going to, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, it's going to, it's going to yeah. influence the next generation too. So it, it's hard. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about social media a little bit since you brought up social media. <laughs> no, okay. I, I think your point's great because I felt like, you know, a lot of, uh, I think the world right now is just full of dysfunction and our kids are seeing it. So, and they're seeing the tension and the, the disunity and all of that. So um, that's a good word. So we talked about earlier about how our, our daughters, our teenage daughters are living in a world that's different than we live in and um, how as we as moms who have not navigated the world the way they're having to navigate the world, how are we still able to listen and empathize with our daughters when we didn't have social media, we didn't have round the clock access to, to information and all of that kind of stuff the way our daughters do. That doesn't mean we didn't have our own struggles in the eighties and nineties, but, but yeah. like, but, but where, you know, what does that cause in our daughters? Um, like what are the effects of that on our daughters and how can we li- listen and empathize and enter into their story when it's hard for us to understand? Right. I, I think there's so many things and, you know, I, I, I have a lot of moms that tell me I want to take my daughter's cell phone and throw it in the river. Like I hate it, hate it, hate it. And, you know, I get that mindset because I do think a lot of negativity has come out of it, but I can say as a writer, like my book, my book deals came about because of social media and blog posts that went viral. I've met awesome people like you ladies, you know, through social media. Um, it's a great platform. You know, it can be used for good. And it is trying to teach our daughters, you know, the healthy, healthy aspect of it. But it's hard because, like I said, girls are very relationship driven. You know, whether we realize it or not, we crave approval. And I think social media makes it very easy for a girl to go get her approval from other people versus going to God, you know, and just, you know, basing self-worth on likes. And I've done it, you know, I, I realized it early on as a blogger, especially if you have a blog post that goes viral, it feels great for a while. But then when your next one doesn't, and you're like constantly trying to get back to that same high number, I mean, yeah. it creates a lot of stress, you know. Yeah. So I probably relate to what they might be feeling a little bit more than the average mom who doesn't even get on social media, you know, doesn't care about likes. Um, but I think, I think what we offer as moms is just that big picture perspective and those timeless truths. You know, and, and, you know, as we know, what were they saying the other day that I think TikTok, there's talk that TikTok might go away. And I was telling my girls, I'm like, that just goes to show you that there are some teenagers out there that have millions and millions of followers and they can lose that platform overnight. And so, you know, really talk about those things that can't vanish overnight and, you know, investing in real life relationships and, um, you know, just the the truth about who you are. And I think that um, one thing that our teenagers... I think that the quarantine, I know it's been kind of a lonely time for a lot of people, but I have a lot of friends who say it's been really good for their family and their teenagers because one, life just is so much less stress right now and they've had more family time. Um, you know, they've had more, a lot of them have found creative talents that they never had time to pursue before because their lives are just go, go, go. And just the expectations at school are so intense that I think they rarely have time to just sit and process and just reflect on life. 
And so I think that, you know, that's something we can really offer as moms is like just kind of pulling them back into the real world and just those old fashioned values and just helping them see how much better it feels. You know, and I have a lot of friends that typically tell me during summer camp season, especially in recent years, now that social media has been around for long enough, but they tell me that my daughter can't wait to get a camp and, and be away from her phone, that she she realizes now she's been been without it for several years during camp and she realizes how much better she feels without it. So I think it's yeah. good for them to kind of see that difference of like, you know, there's a purpose for social media. It's great to keep up with people or, or do whatever we want to do with it, but also just let it be, have a place in our life and, you know, live out, put more of our energy into real living. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really convicted about that during quarantine because, um, you know, Maddie and Penny are still at the age where they kind of mimic everything we do. Mm-hmm. And so their new favorite activity, like we, they don't have devices or anything, but their new favorite activity is getting things that look like a phone and doing this and like mocking us. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I just will like, kind of like look away. We drop our phone and we like back up like they're bare. Cause I'm like, I do like that sucks. I don't want them to be like pretending to have a phone and like, They'll right. be like, can y'all put your phone down? Like they'll ask us and it's so convicting because it's like, oh my gosh, so I try to put regulations around it and like I don't have it for certain hours of the day and I keep it in a different, like, I, but it's like, again, it, it really does go back to like, what example am I setting? Because I, I mean, I know I'm not setting a great one right now, especially, and there's grace for that, of course, but like if we're on our phone all the time, then they're going to be like, well, you're on your phone all the time. Why should I be on my phone all the time? So right. I've just been super convicted about that lately. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, my oldest daughter is a senior this year. So we did some campus touring over the past year and a half. And um, it was on one of our last tours. I looked around and it was a great campus, very warm. But I looked around as everybody was switching classes and all the students had an earbuds. And so they weren't talking to each other, just exchanging, you know, even glances or words as they were passing each other. And I thought, this is so strange that we live in this age. And found this with podcasts and I love podcasts. I've started a podcast, but because I'm a podcast junkie, I mean, I used to talk to people at the gym and then I discovered podcasts. I would just put in my earbuds and I found myself one day like laughing at this conversation these two girls were having and feeling like I was part of it and feeling like they're my friends. And then I was like, wait a minute, they don't know me. (laughs) Like, you know, if I'm sick, they're not going to be dropping off chicken noodle soup at my door. But yet I've I've invested hours of my life with them, which is great. But if I'm not investing more, more time with my real life friends, then that's going to feel that need inside of me for real life human community. And social media makes it such a good distraction and it makes us feel like we're building our friendships. And maybe in some small way we are, but not like we would in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in quarantine, I mean, my, both my kids are a little bit older, so they have devices. They don't have phones or social media. So nobody emailed me, but, um, <laughs> but they do have devices. And, um, you know, as quarantine has happened and school went online and then they couldn't see their friends. And so then they started, you know, that's how they started talking to their friends. Um, it wasn't through social media, but through other ways of FaceTime or whatever, talking to their friends or, or messaging with certain kids apps and stuff. Um, they, um, you know, just time on devices has grown, you know, because, you know, we try to find other things to do. And like you said, finding new hobbies and being outside more. My kids have gotten really good at riding their bikes and exploring the neighborhood. You know, there's just a lot of time that they spend on their devices. You know, I have work to do and it just happens. And um, both my kids are at um, another reason not to email. They're at a very small sleepaway camp that is meeting all of the expectations that's needed by CDC. But both my kids are at sleepaway camp this week. And um, I, both of them were pretty excited when they put their iPads down and were like, 
not going to see it for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited. Just as the reminder for them before school starts that like, we don't need those things to like have a fulfilling life. Like you can have fun at camp this week. And, you, and even my daughter was like, cause this is like her fourth year. My son, it's only his second year, but her, it, she, she was like, I never, I never even miss it. Cause we just have so much fun and there's always something else to do. And so I think it's, you know, we, like Rebecca said, we have to have grace because we're just in a different time right now. We're all using our devices more and our kids are seeing what we're doing more because they're not at school. But also like just reminding them that there's like a real world. I have to remind myself, like there's a real world outside of Facebook and there's a real world outside of Twitter and there's a real world outside of Netflix. Like I have real relationships I need to invest in. So that's a good word. Like social media. I think of it like fast food kind of like it's fine in a pen, you know, like there's nothing wrong with fast food, like morally. It's just that if that's all you're eating, then you're going to quickly see the effects of that. You're going to be malnourished. You're not going to have what you need. You're going to have too much salt. Like there's, it's damaging to eat that way all the time. And so it's like, it's fine to have fast food, but make sure, you know, it's like not a staple in your diet. Right. And like, I think it's just what I think of. It's like sort of like synthetic food, like fake synthetic stuff is how I think of like the relationships on social media. Like they're not bad. They're good. They can be fun. They can be a treat, but like we have to have the substance as our base to be able to participate, you know? I agree. And you know, and it's interesting to me too, how um, I've never heard so many kids, even the teenagers say that they want to go back to school. I mean, our, our our school system is the kids are going back. That's what they're saying today. If you know, if you choose, they also have a virtual option. But, um, and even my girls were like, I, I can't believe all my friends are saying they're, we're all dying to go back. And yeah. I just think it shows that we're, we need, I mean, we need human contact. And I've learned this in my life that sometimes these things, when things are taken away from us, or we see a different way of life, it's really beneficial. And I think the quarantine has helped people kind of pull away and see, kind of compare, like, who do I want to be? And what is life like yeah. with my technology versus without my technology and kind of compare the way that you feel. And I think sometimes we need those comparisons to be able to decide, okay, you know what, this is a track I'm going to go on. Because I think sometimes if we're in that that zone of being on technology all the time, we don't see what's wrong with it until we get off yeah. of it, see how much different we feel without it. Yes. I do have a question for you about social media. And you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but also I saw it saw in the book too about protecting your daughter's privacy and, um, and how important that is, especially as they get older. And so I was thinking about that and, um, you know, with a daughter, you know, on the precipice of preteens and teen year, I mean, she's 10 and a half, so she's a preteen, but like, you know, when they're little, like a lot of us, me included, post lots of pictures of our kids on social media. And we talk about the funny things that they do and the funny things that they say and, you know, or issues that they might be having. You know, my son had a lot of health issues as a baby and I post a lot because I wanted prayers, you know, and, and support. And so, but as they get older, you have to like, I'm assuming you need to watch that more. And so like, how do we navigate that? And like, when should we start like being concerned about that and their privacy? And how is that kind of played out with your four girls? Yes, um, I would definitely say like, especially with teenagers, um, even things like, I mean, I, if I'm putting a picture of them on Instagram, I usually have to get their approval. Like, okay, there have been so many times I'm like, this is the best picture, please let me post it. No, I hate that picture of me. And so, you know, just little things like, and sometimes they have to, somebody might have to get a little sacrifice. I'm like, that's the only family picture we have from this trip. Please let us use it, you know. But um, I think just being mindful of, you know, of if, if there's something, you know, I had a daughter that got braces, you know, one day and she, a lot of, some of her friends follow me and she's like, mom, you know, will you not post a picture 
of me getting braces today. I just don't want everybody asking me about it at school. And so I was like, okay, it's like, I really want to, but I won't. Or sometimes they're like, you can put that on Facebook, but not Instagram because, you know, my friends aren't on Facebook. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's just, you know, my, my girls now they're older. We, you know, they've gotten a number of requests to be on podcasts, um, to do some things with me. And I mean, I would love it. You know, my heart, that's what I want, but they're more private than I am. And so I just have to remind myself that, you know, one day they might want to do this, but for right now they're not ready. And, um, you know, one thing I, I learned early on as a blogger too, is just really asking myself, you know, what is my story to share and what is my child's story to share? And, you know, one day they will be able to share their stories. And, um, you know, and I'm sure y'all have felt like this. There've been lots of things we've gone through that I think, Ooh, a lot of parents, this could help a lot of people. This would, um, you know, possibly go viral, get a lot of hits, but I'm like, but my daughter wouldn't want that out there. And so I think those are the kind of decisions we have to make as parents. And, um, and just remember that one day they're going to be on social media they're going to have these platforms and they could be writing books and they, you know, what would we want them writing about us? Something that we're not comfortable with them putting out there for the public to yeah. hear or see. So um, it is hard. And, you know, we all, I think we all make mistakes, but what you do learn with teenagers is that, you know, sometimes if they feel violated, um, then they, they'll shut down on you. And that, here's an example. I was talking about this with a friend and she was like, oh yeah, you know, my friend's very extroverted. She's like in high school, I told my mom everything. She just kind of like let it all out. And then she goes, one day in 11th grade, I overheard her talking on the phone. Now she must've been, it must've been her senior year. One day in 12th grade, I overheard her talking on the phone to a friend and she was telling this friend that she was worried I was going to follow my um, boyfriend to college. And she hoped that I didn't because it's not like we were going to get married. But she goes, in that moment, I just felt so violated that she had taken this personal story and shared it with her friend. And she's mm-hmm. like, I never told my mom that I heard that, but I never opened up to her the same way after that. And mm-hmm. so I think those are just the kind of things we should just be aware of um, as our kids get older. And it's hard because every child is different and, you know, they have different comfort levels with um, what they're okay with us sharing. But what I've learned, and I try to do this in the book, and luckily I have four girls, so sometimes if there was a, a story I share, you don't know exactly which daughter it was. And there were a few things that I, I ran by a few daughters and I'm like, okay, I don't use your name here, but are you okay with me sharing this? But um, I try to focus on what I'm learning as a mom and the mistakes that I've made rather than the mistakes my girls have made or what they're going through um, to focus yeah. on the mom standpoint. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I've, my daughter is starting to, to notice, I um, mean, even though she's not on social media, you know, I'll post something and then another mom will say, Oh, I saw you got such and such at school. And my was like, <laughs> and I just said her, my daughter's name. Um, it, but I was, I was like, and she's like, she was like, how do they know that? Did you put it, did you put it on Instagram? And so, and and right now it doesn't really bother her, but she's starting to notice that I do those things. So I'm starting to realize that I need to, um, um, that I need to ask for permission first because sometimes I'll take a picture of my kids and she'll say, are you going to put that on Instagram? And so it's starting to like hit me that now that she's starting to ask about it, that I probably should start asking her permission more often than I do. And, um, that's an interesting point what you said about your friend, um, my daughter, my daughter is one that does um, tell me everything. I have some other friends that are like, my daughter won't tell me anything. And my daughter, like literally every night downloads her entire day to me and everything that's <laughs> happened, which I'm very appreciative of. But that's a good reminder for me that I need to be careful about what I share with my friends mm-hmm. that she's downloaded to me because she probably doesn't want everybody to know that. 
but I'm also the kind of person that tells everybody everything. <laughs> and right. so, but like, I can tell everybody everything about myself if I want to, but I have to be real careful with her. So that was a really good reminder to, yes. to start I'm, thinking I'm about that. I, I kind of, I'm kind of an open book. I'll share. So yeah. I really think not everybody is like that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I'm not. And my mom definitely tends to share a lot about me. I mean, despite having a podcast, like, I mean, there's, but there's a lot we don't share here. Yeah. Um, just because we have a podcast doesn't mean I'm like super open book, but yeah, that's kind of been a point of tension where I just feel like I really need you to not tell Susie Jane about what, <laughs> and even if it's benign, it's just, it's just the, like, I just don't want everyone feeling like they know me, <laughs> you know, which I guess that sounds weird having a podcast, but like, I, I don't want everybody <laughs> knowing like these just details that are private details that aren't bad or good. It's just more like, I want to maintain a level of privacy. So I feel like that would have been a really helpful conversation for us to have like 20 years ago. Right. Um, <laughs> that reminds me, this was really good advice I got too a few years ago. A, a woman was telling me, you know, I think when, you're, when your kids are young, your circle of advisors is pretty big. Like I said, I could go mm-hmm. to the gym. I asked for advice all over the map. And she told me, she's like, as your kids get older, your circle of advisors gets smaller and you kind of get more intimate. And I thought that was great advice. And I found that, you yeah. know, with different daughters, I might have somebody different that I confide in because they might know my daughter and, you know, better, that daughter better because their, friend, their daughter's friends with her or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I found that to be really good advice is just find out, you know, people you trust, because sometimes we do need advice or we need some help. But, um, you know, being careful, kind of first asking ourselves, is this something we want to share? If they told their daughter, would your daughter be upset? You know? Yeah. Um, But also, is is this a trustworthy person? Just really being more selective about who we open up to. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you're little, you're just asking about potty training in there too. Right. You like and you know ask everybody, but that's a really good point. You know, asking. You know, I have a, a close circle of friends that all of our daughters are the same age, and we do talk a lot, um, which is good in some ways. It's good because we know what's going on because we all like kind of piece together things and that kind of stuff. But also, when my daughter talks to me about stuff, like if the other mom tells her daughter, is she going to be upset about it? And I've even had my daughter call me out on it. She's like, she'll be like, don't tell so-and-so's mom because then they'll tell her and then it'll come back to me. You know, like, so she's already starting to see the social like um, intricacies, you know, and the politics that happen. And she, (laughs) so she's starting to navigate that a little bit. And I need to honor that. Like, Mm -hmm. because there's a part of me that's like, ah, it's fine. And then I I really need to, because you're right, that can affect our relationship later down in the line. And like Rebecca Cochran, like you're talking about, like, I mean, that's still happening to you as an adult with your mom. So I, I want to be careful about that for sure. So, um, okay. So the book, Love Her Well, you go through like 10 ways um, to find joy and connection with your daughter. And I, it was amazing because under each one of those 10 ways, there's there's like lots of um, different steps and like ideas. And obviously, you know, you don't have to do all 14 things in the list or whatever, but it's just to, to give ideas. Um, anything um, in there that... Um, in those those 10 ways that was like because some of them to me are, are obvious but then some of them were they new information to you as you work through um raising your teenage girls like like what what are a couple of those that just really stand out to you uh, oh that's a good question you know um I tried to do a balance in there I have a you know one section called be her mom and under that section I have some of those hard conversations like how do you have those nitty-gritty conversations that you need to have before they graduate and before they go to college? And how do you be that person that sets the rules and boundaries and, and all of that? Um, but then I also have a chapter on just enjoying her 
and having fun with your daughter. Because I think that especially those of us that are trying to prepare them and launch them, yeah. we can get so caught up in the lo- the rules and the lessons. And I've mm-hmm. learned that it's because sometimes, you know, my girls will ask me a question and they're like, no life lesson, you know, just, just listen, just answer the question. Or, um, you know, they're like, okay, if we're having fun, don't, don't turn it into a life lesson. Just, let's just, just be lighthearted. You know, let's just be shallow for a while. And I think it's really important that we do enjoy them and have, you know, those moments too, because if everything's a life lesson, then we just sound like mom and they're going to tune us out. Um, yeah. So I think those, those two points are important. Um, one chapter I'm hearing a lot about from early readers is chapter one which is choosing your words and your timing wisely. Mm -hmm. I've I've had several moms tell me that, ooh, you know, and in that chapter, I talk about how sometimes we just, I do this, I I blurt things out. It's a a thought I have. And I'm like, ooh, I better tell her right now before I forget Mm -hmm. or or something that she needs to work on. And the timing's terrible or it's the wrong way to say it. And you can just tell by the look on their face. And um, and I've just learned it to be more mindful. And this is something to do in every relationship. I've done it, I've, I've started doing it in my marriage and friendships too but just be more mindful of the words we say. And um, I have a friend that said that, you know, after she read that chapter, her daughter, who's 13, made dinner for her one night. And she was like, she was so proud of it. And she said, as I looked at it, I saw that she did the place setting incorrectly. And I almost corrected her because I wanted I want her to know how to do it correctly. And, you, and you're thinking, oh, what if she's 25 years old and, you know, having eating with her mother-in-law or whatever, it, you know, it doesn't have a set of set of place correctly. You know, you're having these projections. I've got to teach her this. But she, she stopped herself and said, no, that will totally undo the joy that she has right now from cooking me dinner. So she was like, I just bit my tongue and just told her how beautiful it was. And I was so thankful. So I think it's just, that was, um, that's been kind of fun to see people, you know, relating that chapter to their life and how I think that's probably the number one thing as moms that we sometimes do wrong is not watch, watching our words or the time in which we say our words. And then I end the book with a chapter on praying for your daughter and empowering her through faith. Because I, I just truly believe that, you know, this is the teenage years can make us prayer warriors like no other season in life. And, um, and ultimately, you know, that's the only way we can let go and trust God is by, by praying. I mean, it just, that's the only way I get peace sometimes. And I've seen him answer prayers in so many different ways. And it's really, it helps my, my faith journey too. And, um, and that chapter is important to me because it really plays into the two books that I've written for the teen girls which are both meant to empower teen girls through faith. So I, you know, I'm hoping that those books help do that. And that this book is helping a mom be in a, you know, a company, the girl on her faith journey and praying for her in ways that our daughters might not even realize. Yeah. I really liked in that last chapter too, you talked about parenting without guarantees mm-hmm. um, because I think sometimes, especially um, in the church world, um, in the Christian world, we think if we just do all the right things in quotation marks and we we pray enough and we take our kids to church and we put them in the right activities and all that kind of stuff, then there's going to be a guarantee. And, and that's not just for the faith world. Like if we put them in the right schools and we have them in the right activities and they're going to turn out like X, like it's one plus one equals two. And um, I think that um, it's important for us to remember that they're still like human beings that have their own story to live. And they have, as they, and the older they get, the more free will, I mean, they all are, we're all born with free will, but like the more that they like take hold of that. And that like, we have to remember that like, just because we do things a certain way doesn't guarantee a certain outcome. Yeah. Right. Um, that's a good reminder. Yeah. Which is really hard to hear. But it's also a good <laughs> reminder, like on the other end, like, because yeah. 
you don't have the power to make your kids great, but we also don't have the power to really screw them up. Mm-hmm. And I'm a living testament to that. I mean, like, so I, I think it's just, it's kind of, there's this um, Khalil Gibran, he's like a Lebanese poet, wrote a very famous book called The Prophet. And there's this one poem on children. And he said, like, you are the bow, God is the archer, and they're the arrow. Like, you're just the bow. Like, you're not, like, you're there for them to bounce off of. And like, that's your job. And he says it in a poem. That's not what he says. But like, um, <laughs> it, it just, it really helps me to, to put things in proper perspective and say like, you know, again, like I don't have the power to really, I mean, we can screw our kids up. I'm not saying that, but like God is so much bigger than us and he's so much bigger than our mistakes. And we sometimes want to like play God with our kids and say like, and yeah, so that's, it's also helpful to know you can't take too much credit and you can't take too much crap. It's like, yeah. And I think too, I've learned this too in my own parenting is that it really is rooted in pride. If I, if I think yes. I control, you know, yeah. sometimes I have to think, oh, am I more, my child made this mistake. Am I more worried about their mistake or what people are going to think of me as a mom? And I'm thinking mm-hmm. if I'm more worried yeah. about what they're thinking of me as a mom, that's pride. And that is totally the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think we forget the gospel. Like the whole point of the gospel is redemption and God meeting us in those weaknesses. And when we do make mistakes and yeah. redeem them. And, um, yeah, I just, and I, I meet so many people in ministry that they were, they have, a, they have a crazy past, you know, but that's what's made them so effective in ministry. And so I think that, you know, even if they do make mistakes or go down the wrong road, like we all do at certain points in life, that God can use that too, that nothing is a waste. And, uh, you know, and I know people who were in a great place, the parents look like superstars when they went to college and then the, their lives exploded in their forties and lots of problems. So I think that as parents, we can't ever be too prideful or think that, we did this, take credit. I think anything that goes right is really ultimately God's doing, but we just have to be obedient to him and what he's calling us to do as parents. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No. So That's Carrie, a good word. we have a, we have a new thing we're doing. Okay. We're asking all of our guests and you're the guinea pig. So we're <laughs> going to answer the question first. So you have time to think about it. Okay. We want to know what your last meal on earth would be. Mm. So Rebecca and I have the same last meal on earth. Which is funny because we, we don't have the same opinions on a lot of things. But what do we agree on, Rebecca? Nachos. Nachos. Fully loaded. Like a tub. I'm going to tell you everything we want on them. We want queso <laughs> for moisture. We want shredded cheese for structure. We want steak. We want black refried black beans. Sure. Or do you want beans? Just like I want regular beans. You want <laughs> like regular? Okay. Beef. I want refried black beans, and then I want like sour cream, <laughs> guacamole without tomatoes. In it. I hate when tomatoes are in guacamole. Guacamole without tomatoes. Uh, what else? What else do we want? Lots of Carrie. Can you tell that she's she's a chef like that by trade? Like food is her. Oh, like, can you just mother. make up some and ship it to me? That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our last meal on earth. Yum. Mine would be with a mojito. I think yours would probably be with a margarita, right, Rebecca? Probably. Yeah. Okay, Carrie. <laughs> What would your last meal on earth be? You know, I think mine would be spaghetti and meatballs, huge mm-hmm. plate, uh-huh. and a huge glass of red wine. Nice. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, Rebecca Cochran That's makes a good, a good uh, Rebecca Cochran makes some good meatballs and spaghetti sauce. My very Thank first you. My very first time I, at Rebecca oh, and I ever met, oh. we ever met, we were at a retreat 
And Rebecca was the person who cooked at the retreat. She was our, she was also, she had other responsibilities, not just being the chef, but that like, that was the one responsibility that was like hers. And she made um, spaghetti and meatballs and they were amazing because her meatballs and her spaghetti were amazing. Buddy, so you, yeah, so you, you can about out that. with the nachos when you send me the nachos. I know. <laughs> Those like ship a little better than nachos. <laughs> oh, nachos sound delicious. And you two are in Texas, right? No, we're in uh, Atlanta. We're Atlanta. Oh, you're Atlanta. Rebecca okay. Pete is from Texas. I'm from okay. Texas originally. But, so Texas uh, Pete, literally, right there. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that might have the nacho tie-in so no no well yeah I may I think my Texas roots probably have something to do with that but um but yeah no we're in Atlanta so actually she could drive spaghetti and meatballs to you because you're not that far I know right? just right. I'll meet yeah. you halfway then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet somewhere That's on awesome. 20 and have nachos and spaghetti and meatballs exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay Carrie well you're so the love her well comes out on August 18th um anything else um We'll we'll obviously link to all your social media and the website and the ways that they can order the book. Do you have anything else going on around the launch of the book that people need to know about? You know, not really. We're not doing a traditional book tour. So I'll be doing more virtual events. Um, I I do have a new podcast, the Girl Mom Podcast. And I'm starting to release. I just, um, I released one this week, Fighting for Your Teenage Daughter, Not With Your Teenage Daughter. And then there was one last week about coaching your daughter through girl drama that has gotten a lot of shares and has been helpful. I so think if moms yeah. need uh, resources that are just, you know, a little advice from someone who's a little bit older, that that might be helpful. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely lead to that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you, Carrie, so much for taking the time to be on with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me. All right. Okay, bye, guys. Okay. Bye. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye.